let's return to Ephesians 6 tonight. For those who are joining us tonight for the first time, we'll be in Ephesians 6 looking at spiritual warfare for, oh, probably six or seven weeks. So uh, tonight we're continuing to look at the topic, the Christian at war. And let's read our text again, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Some of you have maybe studied in history or become acquainted in some way with the name Alexander uh, Scribant. He was one of the most controversial musical <coughs> artists and composers of his day. He was born on Christmas Day in 1871. He won a gold medal at the Moscow Conservatory at the age of 21, and he went on to compose and perform some of the most difficult piano pieces ever written. His early pieces were said to be exquisite, possessing a harmony uh, and a beauty unparalleled. Uh, he began to tour Europe, he returned to Moscow in 1898 as the youngest professor ever at the conservatory. But then his life began to drastically change. He started dabbling in mysticism and very dark spiritual themes. Uh, friends said that he spoke constantly of evil forces possessing him. And then he would wash his hands hundreds of times each day because he felt evil and dirty and he needed to somehow wash the evil out. Then he began having delusions of his own messianic importance. He claimed that he was God, but then he eventually claimed that he was inspired by Satan himself. He went on to try to imitate some of Jesus' actions in the parables parable of the sower where Jesus stood on a boat on the shoreline. He got in a boat and a pond and tried to gather people around him to teach. 
He described himself as being light and attempted to replace faith in Christ with a celebration of Satan. And then he died at age 44. Now, perhaps he was simply a mentally disturbed individual. And that might have been the extent of it. But could have been more. You know, the scripture certainly talks about demonic possession. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus encountered a man, the Gerasene demoniac, possessed by a legion of demons. A Roman legion was made up of 2,000 soldiers. So this was a man with an abundance of, of demons in him. Of course, a Christian, as we talked about last week, cannot be possessed by the devil because Ephesians 1.13 says, from the moment of our redemption, the moment of our conversion, Paul says in Ephesians 1.13 that we are sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But Christians can certainly be oppressed. Well, last time, last week, we started looking at the Christian's struggle. And as I mentioned to you, Dan, I, I certainly don't agree with, it's been about between two and three decades ago, everybody was talking about angels and demons. I mean, there was just such a fascination on that. And I don't think we're supposed to look at it that way. I think we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, we do need to be aware, though, that we have an enemy. And, and that's what Paul is talking about here. What we need to understand that, that spiritual warfare is not a subset of the Christian life. Warfare is the Christian life. This side of the return of Jesus. You know, somebody might say, I just want to live the Christian life. I want everything to be good all the time and peaceful and comfortable. I don't want to talk about doing battle and engaged in warfare. But that's impossible because, again, we have an enemy. And he comes against us. He even came against Jesus in the wilderness. And so, again, spiritual warfare isn't just simply some little compartment or a subset of the Christian life and we can check the box as an option or leave it blank and not want to go there. We can't do that. You know, you might even feel since becoming a Christian, there are times in your life that your struggles against the evil one have even increased. You know, somebody said one time, if you're walking in lockstep, same direction with the devil, you never meet him. But you turn around about face and walk with Jesus, you're going to bump head on into the devil. Well, we're gonna, I want us to highlight tonight some of the areas that we covered last week. And I'm going to go pretty fast here. And then we're going we're gonna to move in tonight to start looking at some of the armor that, that Paul says we have. Last week, you'll recall, we talked first about what? Our enemy. Our enemy, exactly. Uh, verse 12. Right, verse 12 down, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul's saying there, our, our enemies on this earth are not just human enemies. It's more than that. He says, it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Darkness. 
Now, lest you get the wrong impression about something, let me correct it right here. And I may have touched on it last week. I don't remember. We certainly don't believe in a form of dualism. Dualism is where you believe there are two sovereigns at work in the universe, one good and one bad, and they're engaged in a cosmic struggle. And, you know, who knows who's going to win? Well, that's not the biblical image. There's only one sovereign, God. And, and, and Satan is certainly not God's counterpart. He's not God. Satan is a created being. He's a fallen angel. We looked at that last week. He does not possess the attributes of God, neither the incommunicable nor the communicable attributes. Those incommunicable attributes of God would be things that belong to God and only to God. Things like his omniscience, his omnipotence, omnipresence. Things that can only be said of God and God alone incommunicable attributes. And then God has communicable attributes, things that He does share with His children. Love, mercy, grace, holiness, things like that where we're to be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1 says. But again, Satan doesn't possess these attributes. He's not God's equal. When the Bible refers to Satan as the God of this world, it's little g. We need to remember that Scripture says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But Paul is telling us we dare not take the enemy for granted, though. And we dare not try to go up against him in human strength alone. In spiritual warfare, we need spiritual weapons. You can write down 2 Peter chapter 2. Also the book of Jude. And Revelation 12. Just three places right there that talk about a number of angels who fell with Satan. And those angels that fell with Satan, who are they now? They're demons. And they're very active on planet Earth. Jude says there's one group of demons that's locked away in chains, reserved for the day of judgment. But apparently there's some that, that roam about. And again, Paul's referring to those in verse 12. Five times there he says we, we struggle against. We don't wrestle just against flesh and blood, but against. Five times he says that. Why didn't he just say one time? that we wrestle against. He says it five times there. What do you think he's trying to do? A couple of ways to emphasize things in, in Greek. You can front load a sentence. Whatever you want to emphasize, move to the front of the sentence. Or you can use repetition. Just different ways of emphasizing we're engaged in a battle against a real enemy. Five times. Then he uses the word here struggle or wrestle. 
It signifies close at hand, hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's not something imaginary, it's very real. So close and personal. From Genesis to Revelation, we looked last week, some were told about our enemy. We looked at some of his names. He's called the adversary, Satan, the devil, the dragon, the accuser, a liar and a deceiver, the father of lies, the god of this age, and a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Again, I'm going fast because we're just kind of reviewing what we did last week. We looked at some of his activities. He accuses God before man. He accuses man before God. He's a murderer. He steals the seed of the gospel. He seeks to block the missionary efforts of the church. And he blinds the mind of the unbeliever. Also, we looked at the schemes or the wiles of the devil, as verse 11 puts it. He, Satan has schemes. He has strategies. He's crafty. He goes after you where you're most vulnerable. He's like a, he's, he's like a predator stalking his prey. And so again, we better take him seriously. Just look at the book of Job. See how Job was attacked. And then in Daniel 10, what do we see in Daniel 10? That for a period of, what, 21 days, God heard Daniel's prayer. But there was a demonic power that kept him from getting the answer. And then finally, Michael, the archangel. You know, you, you find Michael being named as an angel in Scripture, Gabriel being two High-ranking angels. Michael came and helped Daniel out and delivered the message from God that God wanted Daniel to have. But demonic activity, even in Daniel's prayer life, going on. So what's our first response to be as we're engaged in spiritual warfare? We saw last week also that God wants us to be strong. We, we must be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. Earthly gymnasiums and diets won't do any good in this spiritual warfare. Verse 10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And Paul uses three words there for uh, God's strength. The word strong is a very general word that just simply refers to power or strength. Our word dynamite grows out of, of, of the root of that word. Then there's the word power. The second word refers to the sovereign unlimited power that God displays as He rules His universe. It's, it's the word used of God raising Christ from the dead. As believers, we're to rely on that power, the resurrection power of the Lord. Daily, we're to lean on that power. And then there's the word might here, the third word, might. And that word has the nuance in it that God's absolute sovereign power is also carried out in His perfect wisdom. In other words, God never misuses His power. His power 
is perfect. Okay, then secondly, we turned last week and started looking at our equipment that God gives us in this spiritual warfare. Now, I want you to remember tonight, Ephesians was a prison epistle or a captivity epistle. Paul wrote it during his first imprisonment that the book of Acts closes with. And Paul was chained, you know, he talks in Philippians about being chained to a Roman soldier. You think probably that's Roman soldier that, or the, the different shifts of Roman soldiers that he was chained to probably gave Paul some, some inspiration for these words here. As he looked at, that, looked at that soldier he was chained to and, and saw some of the dress, some of the equipment of that soldier. He used that. He, he, made, he made analogies off of that for uh, spiritual warfare. He says here we're to take up the full armor of God. The full armor. Somebody's wisely said God makes the armor. The believer is to take the armor. We're to put on the full armor of God. A soldier wouldn't dare just think about putting on a helmet, for instance, and nothing else. A Roman soldier utilized all of his equipment. We dare not just pick and choose what part of the armor we want to put on. He says put on the full armor, the whole armor of God because each piece of the armor is for our protection and also for the advancement of the gospel. So if a warrior left even one piece of the armor off, he would be vulnerable in, in that area. The tense is also significant here. The tense is that once and for all, we are to be clothed in, in the armor we have. And the purpose of the armor is stated in verse 11 and verse 13, that you may resist and stand. That you may resist and stand. God wants you and me standing and standing strong and standing firmly. Now, as we look tonight, beginning to look at the list of equipment, we're able to infer some of what we can expect from the enemy. Satan attacks truth. Satan attacks virtuous living. He attacks the spread of the gospel. He attacks the mind and the heart of the believer. He tries to instill doubts and fear and discouragement. He tries to keep us from prayer. These are just some of the ways that he operates. And so what does God do? God gives us a piece of armor that coincides with each of the ways that the enemy attacks. And so what do we see first? We see the belt of truth or the girdle of truth mentioned there in verse 14. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The Roman soldier had a large belt, usually made of leather. It could even have some metal in it. 
uh, a large belt around his waist, it gave him support. But not only support, it would have different pegs or something on it to where he could hang different pieces of his armor from his, his belt. You know, I think the, the fact that Paul gives this one first is no accident because God's truth gives the foundation and the guidance to everything else we face in the Christian life, doesn't it? One of the biggest attacks, or ways I should say that Satan attacks, is God's truth. Just go back to the Garden of Eden. What did he say to Eve? What was his question? Has God really said that? God didn't mean that. Attacking God's truth. And planting doubts in Eve's mind about the reliability and truthfulness of God's word. Satan tries to do the same with people today. Giving people to doubt God's truth. I mean, just think about how he operates and and how he's being very successful in society. Think of those foundational chapters of Genesis, for instance. First three chapters of Genesis. <clears throat> Bible opens up, God created the heavens and the earth, right? God spoke, said, let there be light. But in the world today, what's the world say about creation? What's the world say? Evolution. Just evolution. Just, yeah. No God, no supreme being, just everything's coincidental, just evolved. What's the Bible say about marriage? Between a man and a woman. Je Jesus reiterated that in Matthew 19 when asked about marriage. He carried him back to God's word in Genesis 2. God's word about gender created us, man in God's image, male and female. He created us. What's the world saying today about gender? I mean, just think about it. Those foundational chapters of Genesis and how the world today is just systematically attacking every one of those things right at the beginning of the Bible. Or consider redemption. You know, God says salvation is, is a free gift through faith in Christ. We're, we're redeemed. We're reconciled to God through Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But the, the world says what? I'll just, you know, either there is no God or God's like somebody sits atop a mountain and there's many pathways to get up to Him and just choose whatever pathway you want to take and just be sincere, whatever that's supposed to be. Just be sincere in whatever path you want to pick and choose or just do your best. Do your best. So you see how in all these ways, God's truth is attacked. Satan tries to get our lives caught up in, in deceit. Folks, the Word of God is filled with instruction about how we are to walk in God's truth. I think of Joshua in Joshua 1.8 as he was taking over from Moses and leading the children of Israel into the promised land. God told Joshua that he would have success in his leadership by meditating on God's word 
and leading the people according to God's word. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says that we, we dare not go along with those who are mocking God and walking in the ways of sin, but we are to meditate on God's word day and night. We're to meditate on his word. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In John 17, his high priestly prayer, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The book of Jude says we are to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So over and over again in the Bible, we see these admonitions to devote ourselves to God's truth, God's word. And again, Satan tries to undermine God's truth. So how do we put on the belt of truth? If putting on the belt of truth is important, how do we do that? Study it. Mm -hmm. Study it. Being in God's Word. Absolutely. Saturating our hearts and minds in God's Word. Folks, I'm not so concerned about the speed at which you do it, but every believer ought to have some type of Way, some type of pattern through which you're reading the whole counsel of God. Don't just concentrate on your favorite books or if you've got a favorite hobby horse, a doctrine or some certain aspect of God's Word, you concentrate on that and read everything pertaining to that and skip over everything else. It's very important that you and I read the whole counsel of God. You can even buy Bibles today. You know this, that have your daily reading broken down. You just pick the date, the, the, you know, January 1st, read these chapters. And to read through the Bible in a year, you normally need to read somewhere between three and four chapters a day. But again, whether you do it that way or not, get through it in a year. Some people find no trouble doing that. They even do it quicker. Some people like to go slower and take maybe two or three years. The important thing is that we are devoting ourselves to reading and studying God's Word and the whole counsel of God. That's the belt of truth. Don't neglect that. If you neglect that, you're setting yourself up to be vulnerable to the lies of the devil. You may not even recognize them. Let's say you're talking to somebody and let's say you're talking to somebody who doesn't know the Bible. They don't know the belt of truth. And let's say they're involved in a conflict, for example. They may describe a family situation where they're at odds with maybe their brother and then a friend of their brother's. And they say something like, well, you know, he's my brother. I know eventually I've got to forgive him and love him. But that other guy with him, I don't know him. I am never going to forgive him. 
I am never going to forgive him. Well, what's, what's the Bible? What's the belt of truth say about that? Jesus said, we're even to love who? Our enemies. Our enemies. And how about forgiving? You know, 490 times, is that it? You know, Jesus talking to, to Simon Peter in Matthew 18, 7 times 70. When somebody does you wrong the 491st time, then you cut them off. No. And Jesus is just simply saying, unlimited. So again, here, you know, something as simple as that. You're talking to somebody going through conflict in their family. They say, oh, I know I've got to forgive my brother after all he's family, but I'll never forgive that person. Well, by being in God's Word, we know that you've got to forgive everybody, even your enemies. That's what I mean when I say we've got to know God's truth so we can, we can know what it teaches in these everyday situations we get in. Now, I want to talk about another piece of armor along with this one because I think the two are so similar. Skip all the way down to verse 17. In verse 17, what's Paul say there? Take the helmet of salvation, but pay attention to what he says next. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This sword was actually tucked into the belt. The Greek word here referred to the Roman soldier's short sword. Like a dagger. Now, don't think of a little kitchen knife. Because the, the Roman's um, dagger was still between 18 and 24 inches long. Pretty good sized dagger. About a two or three inch blade in, in width and 18 to 24 inches long. Good sized dagger. But that as opposed to his long sword. The dagger was for close combat. Now, it's been pointed out, the sword here mentioned in verse 17 is the only piece of offensive weaponry. Defensively, we're to wear the belt of truth. We're to be grounded in the Bible, the truth of God. The sword, on the other hand, is, is offense. That the wonderful, highly regarded New Testament scholar, he's dead now, F.F. Bruce, he, he talks about the word used here. You know, the Word of God, you, you speak of the Logos, the, the, the Word of God. But then the Rhema that's used here is a specific passage that matches up with a specific need that you're facing. Something specific. It, it's a word that is appropriate to that moment. So what Paul's talking about here, we know the belt of truth in general. And then let's say you're attacked in the area of your marriage. So the sword of the Spirit would be God's truth related to marriage. Or let's say you're attacked in the area of gossip or the tongue. And you'd want to pay attention to those passages that have to do with the 
the tongue. Uh, if you don't know God's word overall, you're not going to know those individual teachings. But as scholars point out here, this, this rhema, this sword of the spirit, think of, they say, think of Jesus in the wilderness. When Satan came against Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus was able to come back at him with a specific instruction from God's word that addressed that specific temptation. That's taking the sword of the spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a well-known expositor of scripture. Uh, he talks about Martin Luther. He says, Luther was held in darkness by the devil, though though he was a monk. He was trying to save himself by works. He was fasting, sweating, and praying. And yet he was miserable and unhappy and in bondage. Superstitious Roman Catholic teaching had held him captive. But he was delivered by the word of Scripture. The just shall live by faith. From that moment, he began to understand this word as he had never understood it before. And the better he understood it, the more he saw the errors taught by Rome. He saw the error of her practice and so became more intent on the reformation of the church. He proceeded to do battle in terms of his faithful exposition of the Scripture. Using the sword of the Spirit. So, the belt of truth, or the girdle of truth, and the sword of the Spirit. God's overall teaching, and God's Word addressed to whatever particular situation you might be tempted in or confronted. This is two, two pieces of weaponry that God gives us. The belt of truth. And the sword of the spear. And how sad that so many Christians are ignoring this or neglecting this. Well, a third piece of armor. The breastplate of righteousness that's mentioned in verse 14. Righteousness is the truth of God applied in a very practical way to your life. Now, in Paul's writings, righteousness actually has two meanings. The first meaning is akin to justification. It means to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a wonderful exchange, isn't it? And so the breastplate of righteousness in that meaning of righteousness means that you've understood the truth of God and you've understood God's verdict of you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
you come to Christ, God's converted your soul, He's regenerated you, and you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, a second way that righteousness is used in Paul's writings refers to what we would call a moral or an ethical righteousness. In other words, living out the gospel in our lives. God's word is to be lived out. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so righteousness is truth applied. Truth applied. Folks, the cause of Christ has been so damaged through the ages because believers have not worn the breastplate of righteousness. I think most people know the name James Kennedy. He's passed away now. Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And what was the evangelism program he was so well known for? You remember the name? Evangelism Explosion. Right. Well, when he published that, they also did a survey where... Evangelism Explosion asks questions. If you're not sharing your faith in Christ with the lost, why are you not? And they got back some of the answers they expected. People would say, I don't really know how to share my faith, or I'm scared. What if I'm rejected? Just the answers, the standard answers they expected. But you know what the number one answer was that they gave when asked, why aren't you sharing your faith in Christ? Number one answer. Because of the inconsistency of the life that I'm living. The inconsistency of the life that I know I'm living. Not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Folks, that's why so much attention is given to this in, in Scripture. You know, Colossians 3 will tell us, for instance, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Put to death what's earthly in you. Paul is saying, positionally, we're already seated with Christ in the heavens. In God's mind, our redemption and the consummation of our redemption is as good as done. But in everyday life, practically, we are to become what positionally we already are. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Living out God's Word. Living out His truth. Putting it into everyday practice. And what Paul is saying here is that's actually a defense against the attacks of the enemy.
living a life of integrity. A life of integrity. That in and of itself is a weapon against the schemes of the devil. Now, again tonight, I want us to understand we are engaged in warfare. You don't have the option of opting out. And we mentioned last week how there's a problem in the church. We, we have a cruise ship mentality instead of a battleship mentality. Perhaps tonight you are convicted that you are neglecting the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. You don't know God's Word. You don't know the whole counsel of God. Because you don't know the whole counsel of God, you don't know what it says about those specific areas that you might face. And when you encounter people at work or school or in the neighborhood or whatever that, that spew out falsehood, you don't even know how to counter it. So please, whatever method you choose, whatever reading plan, however, whatever study plan, and I don't even care what translation you use, just as long as you use a good translation of the Bible, but get in God's Word. Know His Word. So you can recognize falsehood and deception when you encounter it in the world. You know, it can be sad to even be in churches sometimes, maybe in a Sunday school class when people get to discussing Scripture. And you can even hear things said that don't match up with the Word of God at all. It's more like what you would hear out in the world. In the church, we need to know God's Word. And then maybe there's areas of your life where you know you're not living out God's truth. Your life isn't a witness in that regard. And you probably already know what you need to do about it. To put on the breastplate of righteousness. Maybe somebody's even in here tonight. I don't know. On Wednesday night, you know that righteousness in terms of justification, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that's not where you are. You're not saved. You've not been converted. And of course, that's the pressing need in your life. Weaponry, which God gives us, so that, as verse 13 says, we can withstand in the evil day and having done all. To do what? To stand firm. To stand firm. As a believer, you will face attacks of the enemy. But, we have a gracious commanding officer who's given us all that we need to be able to stand firm, to engage in the battle. Amen. 
Amen. Any comments or questions in closing? Standing, standing firm can be uh, really hard sometimes. And, uh, and I had a discussion about a couple of months ago with a fellow, and 75% of the things he was saying I agreed with, but 25%, maybe I didn't agree with him. And he could talk circles around me, I think. Sure. And it would be so easy to to give in, but I said, I know the uh, ideology of this group because I heard the group's leader, and I, I, I just can't agree with you. And, and so he wanted to cancel, and I didn't want to lose his fellowship, but I, I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't. Sure. But uh, uh, I didn't want to, but. And you know, the cults are famous for that, aren't they? Yeah. There's there's enough of an element, there's an element of truth to where people don't just immediately run, but there's deception. And so they're able to wiggle their way into people's minds and hearts. And, and then another thing, what's going on today is, a couple of years ago I was in central Massachusetts and by this, uh, uh, Oxbow Lakes, and we were watching a water skiing show. You know, people on water skis on top of each other. And it's really an amazing show. And then on the way back, in the car, I'm looking out the window, and there's a meeting place for warlocks in central Massachusetts. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And there is such things going on. I'm sure. <coughs> You ever hear more uh, Floyd Barclay Jones' sermons? Mm -hmm. He's good. He's very good. Very you used good. to be able to get him on YouTube. I don't know. You know what, Richard? People, uh, you you can't. Well, you can go on. There's a uh, oh, what's it called? Martin Lloyd Jones. It may just be Sermon Library. His family members have got together. You can listen to a lot of his sermons. Our people need to do that because after they listen to his sermons, they'll come back and say, my Sunday morning sermons are short. <laughs> yes. Seriously. Yeah, he, he believed in an hour-long, deep exposition of Scripture. Most of his sermons were at least that. Kind of a John MacArthur-style sermon. Very in-depth, faithful exposition. He was a medical doctor, you know. You know, that's right. That's right. And then became a, a pastor and then started a Friday night service aimed at young people where they be long expositions of Scripture and the crowds grew and grew and grew and grew. You know, when he died, he had been... Now, I don't recommend this, um, especially not you couldn't in a modern age maybe, but he had been in the book of Romans for 13 years. And he was only up to chapter 12. <laughs> I may have that backwards. He may have been in it 12 years and was up to chapter 13 or 13 years and was up to chapter 12. But I don't know that I would recommend going through a single book for that long. But anyway. How many volumes is it? Oh, it's, it's, it's a huge volume. Oh, yeah. In the book of Romans. Yep. Yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones. <clears throat> yeah. Well, maybe you could hit somewhere in between. Somewhere in between? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
Okay, well, let's uh, direct our attention up here. And uh, Drew, would you open us tonight and pray for these? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for having Pastor Scott to present this topic to us tonight. We need it so badly. We are being attacked every day for our Christian values. And, uh, it's hard to stand firm. It's hard to know what to say in light of everything that is uh, happening with our in our political world and our government and the destruction of values and Christian values and destruction of, of your word. We need to have our weaponry so we know how to fight against these spiritual forces that are working against us. And we just uh, thank you for opening our minds up to this tonight. And, and we need to really get into your word, the word, and, and intentionally read and arm ourselves so that we can, can face this conflict that we are experiencing every day. We have some needs tonight, Lord, to lift up some degrees valuable people to us that we uh, have in this church. Uh, since we've been coming here for almost two years, one of the couples that has really taken an interest in us is God uh, Russell Willis. And we just uh, ask for you to be close to them as they go through this difficult time. And uh, we just know that they have been a couple that They've been close to you and, and for many, many years. And we just ask that you uh, give them that, that spirit that is being exemplified now as, as we talk to them, and as Pastor Scott has talked to us about, has told us tonight about their, uh, the way they are handling this situation. There are others, Lord, that we need to remember that uh, uh, Brenda Dudley, is recovering uh, from surgery. We need to ask you to bring healing for her. Uh, especially want to remember Ronnie Niles' family. And she was just with us a couple of weeks ago and seemed to be doing so much better. This was quite a shock to us to uh, have her missing from our presence. But we know that you will keep her family in, in comfort and family keep them close to you Lord. we uh, pray for Helen Andrews I don't know her personally but I know she's been uh, an important member of this church and please keep her uh, close to you Lord. Eddie and Dixie Hample uh, Richard was telling me about uh, Eddie having surgery this week and, and they both had COVID and we just asked that you bring healing to them. Uh, Brenda and Joel Hyde have been going through some difficult times, but uh, Joel's uh, rehabilitation and Brenda having to do a lot for him, and we just lift them up to his night board. Janelle Carroll is uh, a very valuable person uh, in this church, too, from what we get come to find out. She has done so much behind the scenes, and we ask that you 
bring uh, some type of comfort to her and uh, maybe help the doctors to find some way that they can, can help her. Uh, others, uh, Brian Strickland, Susan Ressler, Ron Wilson, David Grimson. These folks uh, have special needs, Lord, that we lift them up tonight. And we want to pray for our schools. And uh, <coughs> these school kids have been through so much in the last year, year and a half, one or two years, uh, almost two years now, uh, missing out on many opportunities that are so you're accustomed to have. This is uh, just a difficult time to for them to uh, miss out on their education and be so far behind in their education. Uh, it's just uh, again the I think the devil that worked here trying to destroy our our families, trying to destroy our educational system. We just ask that you intervene in that situation. We thank you again for this opportunity to come to you and hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Lord, sometimes as Christians, when we're <coughs> talking to somebody, there can be the temptation that we think we have to try and debate them with the wisdom of the world. And Lord, we neglect the simple power of your word, the sword of the Spirit. Paul even talks in 1 Corinthians 1 about through the wisdom of the world men did not come and do not come to know God. That God's wisdom is the preaching of the cross and the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Lord, help us to remember the power of your word. And just speaking to people about what your word says. Lord, strengthen us to do that. Lord, there's a, all, all kinds of opportunities around us. Everywhere we turn, we see the, the world just inundated with a secular false belief system that deifies man. So Lord, equip your church that we will stand firm in your truth. And God, that we'll live it out. 
the world looks at Christians and says, hmm, hypocrites. We know that's oftentimes just an excuse that the world uses. But Lord, remind us too that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to live out what we say we believe. Equip us to do these things. Help us to stand firm and be able to withstand in the evil day. We're in, we're in evil days. Lord, be with your church. Guide us, equip us, strengthen us, give us courage. I think of Revelation 12, 11. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Lord, grant that we might have that type of resolve and commitment. We pray in Christ's name.